0: Welcome to Behind the Mic with Audiophile Magazine, where you can find great suggestions for your next audiobook. I'm Robin Witten, editor of Audiophile, and this week we are focused on our selection of 2020's best audiobooks. In the special episode today, we'll talk about the memoir audiobooks that we've chosen as best of the year. These titles give listeners very personal and intimate reflections and offer some great listening. We also have a special guest, narrator Adam Lazar White. We'll talk with Adam shortly, but first, here are our choices for best audiobooks in memoir. Memorial Drive by Natasha Trethaway, read by the author. More Myself by Alicia Keys, read by the author, with an ensemble of friends. Saigon by Phuc Tran, read by the author. Intimations by Zadie Smith, read by the author. Vesper Flights by Helen Macdonald, read by the author. And A Most Beautiful Thing by Arshay Cooper and read by Adam Lazar White. And we're so glad to have Adam here today with us. Hello.
1: Hi, how are you doing?
0: It's great to be here and talk about the memoirs and to talk about a most beautiful thing. Can you uh, tell me a little bit, Adam, of what the story is about?
1: Well, the story in its most simple form is about this group of young men or, or older boys, depending on how you want to look at them, who live in um, underprivileged circumstances, I guess you might want to call it a ghetto and they're introduced to the sport of crew rowing in their high school and the sport and working as a team is a brand new experience for them. The traveling is a brand new experience for them. The interaction with white people, both their coaches And the people that they compete against because crew is traditionally a sport that is competed in and around um, elite schools, Ivy League colleges, schools that have the money to, to outfit crew teams. And through all these experiences, all these kids grow. They're, they're more exposed to the world. And uh, perhaps most importantly, they learn about themselves and the grit and the discipline that any great sport and any great sports experience teaches individuals and teams, which is how to rely on each other, how to rely on yourselves, and what what you can withstand, how, how powerful the human spirit is. And a lot of times people from underprivileged communities don't, they aren't put in situations to learn some of those lessons in a positive way. They're put in those situations where they have to learn those lessons in ways that are challenging, in which they can learn those lessons, but maybe aren't as rewarding or as pleasurable or as um, inspiring, but ways that are difficult and um, uh, sometimes even damaging, right?
0: Mm. Mm. And, and this all takes place in mostly in Chicago. The high school uh, is in Chicago, right? Yeah,
1: these kids are from a ghetto in Chicago and they end up you know traveling around um, primarily the Midwest.
0: Right. It's so interesting as a memoir that Arche obviously is this took place in the 1990s, uh, right. So it was he's looking back.
1: Right and i should have mentioned that i mean it's it's really his story i i was talking in the more global sense about all of the boys and what they went through but it's really Arshay's story it's about a a boy who is on his mm-hmm. way to manhood and uh um this experience was a huge part of it
0: and what do you think the for you the biggest challenge of doing this recording was
1: the biggest challenge i mean the truth is is that it was very rewarding book to read. It was inspiring. It was entertaining. It's extremely well-written. The characters are, even if they hadn't been real, they, they're they very real. You know what I mean? They are real people. And so they have that kind of unpredictability and um, quirky originality that really comes with original life. I, I really enjoyed doing this book. Um, I, I mean, if there was a challenge, the honest truth is... Uh, during the year of coronavirus to be recording in my home booth, not with an engineer, <laughs> um, as opposed to uh, going into a, a fancy studio out here in L.A. and uh, recording um, with a, with, a, with a compadre sitting <laughs> on the other side of the glass. But I, I didn't really find the book challenging in the sense of in any negative way. Mm. Um, it, it was a it was exciting. In the same way you, you to you, to stay with the sports motif, the same way you would say a a, a great game is challenging. Like you, you're excited to play the game. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's more how I felt. You know, I was excited to play the game of this book. It was it was it was fun. It was a fun book, and it was well written, and it was entertaining, and it was also deep and social commentary and yeah. enlightening maybe not as much for me coming from the black community and coming from a very political family, but clearly for people maybe who aren't as aware of some of the difficulties that kids growing up on the south side of Chicago might face. Not just the, the most obvious problems of growing up impoverished. Mm. Everybody understands poverty all over the world. This is not a, a particular thing. To any particular culture. Everybody understands poverty. But the particular thing that confronts African Americans about identity and, uh, you know, my father grew up under segregation, right? I'm me and my brother. We're the first generation of black people who did not grow up under slavery or segregation, right? My, my father did. So like the issues of identity and what my father always talked about, which was the word possibility. When he was growing up, the idea of what was possible was very limited. And then when I was growing up, it was a lot less limited, right, Mm -hmm. in the 80s. But it still seemed impossible that 25 years from then, Obama would be president. Like, that's the most obvious example, right? But the idea for my father was that it was impossible to be a doctor or a lawyer. Right. Or you knew one, you know, you knew one where he was growing up in North Carolina. So like, that still confronts the African-American psyche. Uh-huh. What What is possible? And I think that that's different than being poor in a different culture. For these kids, a big part of what happened in this book is that the idea of what is possible changed
0: right very nicely said because that's so true and you brought alive the personalities and all of the challenges that these young men had you know how they learned to be a team it was very interesting one of the things that i noticed as we compiled this list of the best memoirs adam is that this is the only one that is not read by the author So I wanted to ask you, how do you prepare to deliver an author's personal voice? Because it's their story.
1: Yeah, the honest truth is, I don't treat the author any different than I would treat Richard III. Or I don't treat him any different than I would treat Troy in Fences. Hmm. The author to me, and the characters in his book are characters that I need to embody. And it doesn't really matter to me whether I'm, for example, Gary Oldman in uh, the movie where he's playing Churchill or whether I'm Gary Oldman and I'm in State of Grace playing an Irish thug in New York. Like, the work of the actor is to create what isn't there for you and to research what is there for mm-hmm. you. So in a in, in something that is a real person, there's a lot of to research. And you there's a lot less to create in terms of backstory and specifics. Right. But in terms of feeling like the person when you're reading or when you're acting, and I really look at narrating and voice work as acting. I don't really Mm. Mm-hmm treat it much differently except that i can do it in my pajamas (laughs) i don't i don't need makeup or hair but uh but the work of embodying a character in a situation is the same and that's really just a, a a muscle of empathy feeling what the other person feels right um so When you're doing any kind of nonfiction work, when you're doing any kind of biopic, if you're in a biopic as an actor, you're playing a real person, there's a lot of information for you. And it's the same thing in reading, essentially, a biopic. All the information is there. But to feel like yeah, to feel like Pooh Trigger mm -hmm. in the moment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, I didn't have those kids' voices. I had to decide who was going to sound like what. But the dialogue that was written gives me a lot of, and the descriptions, right? If you describe a man, you know, like the father of a friend, and, and he says, you know, he was a big man, you know what I mean, or whatever, I'm going to give him a deeper voice. If he's, if he's an th- ex-gang member and the other guy's dad is a, you know, a bus driver, it's like, it's like the situation in uh, a Bronx tale between... Chazz Palminteri and Robert De Niro. You kind of got like the nice working man and the gangster. Okay, so you, you want to give a flavor of that, of that danger that the guy who is the gangster lives with every day and is uh, like, if you talk about he's shorn by, he's forged in that danger in a way that a man who, you know, is a, is a nurse at the local hospital, or a janitor I maybe not so much, you know? Right. So, you know, all of the characters are really creations that are built on my research, which is the book I'm given. And then my imagination of what it might sound like, not to mention my imagination is formed by my experience. What do these guys sound like? Right. Right. I have lots of uncles and <laughs> I have lots of friends and you know what I mean? A lot of times I use I I teach acting also. I was talking to some students the other day and I said, you know, it's really good for actors to have a couple of characters in your pocket. And those characters can be almost like stock characters. You're like, okay, this is my, a lot of times it has to do with accent. Like I'm from New York. So it's very easy for me to drop into Harlem and sound like this because this is what I grew up around. Right. And then it's very easy for me to do the South because my father and my grandmother and all my aunts and uncles are from North Carolina. So that particular South sound is very easy for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you have so so Harlem and Southeast African-American working class, those are two characters sounds that are in my pocket.
0: I think we should probably uh, play the clip we selected and let our audience hear a little bit of A most beautiful thing.
1: That sounds wonderful. Okay. I appreciate it. Yes. Just about half of the team from Philly is present. I figured after the trip that some people wouldn't come back. For most, because they had just wanted to go out of town. And for others, they have gotten a taste of how demanding this sport really is. In the circle is Arthur, Elliot, Malcolm, Preston, Ronald, Fetus, Leah, Leslie, Alvin, and Pooh Trigger. Just enough folks for a boy's eight boat, but not enough girls for a boat. The tragic thing about the sport is that if one person doesn't show to get on the water, we don't go out. Rowing is the ultimate team sport.
0: That's just a little glimpse into a world of what uh, Arshay's going to learn, isn't it? Yeah.
1: And, and, you know, I was an athlete too. So like a big, I was very moved in the section. I actually cried myself, like when reading the parts that got me to cry are not the sad parts in the impoverished upbringing. The parts that make me cry. I was a, I was like an all-county, you know, football player and baseball player, and I played basketball, and then I played in college, and is the effort. Like when I watch the Olympics, sometimes I cry. Like, right. Because the effort of an athlete to to seek excellence and how hard they have to work to be their best, and that those lessons that those young men slash boys learned with those coaches— about what they could withstand and what they could reach for it was really moving to me to to watch them go through that as athletes and become that kind of an athlete that has discipline and focus and not just physical talent but but craft and focus and discipline It's it's really um an incredible thing and and as a a football player, baseball player, basketball player, I didn't do that sport, but I was definitely a team sport guy. And so the other part of it, which a tremendous amount of this book has to do with learning what it is to be on a team, and that go, go, come kind of comes full circle to what I was talking to you about with the psychological scars of, in particular, the African-American community in this country and what this community has been through. It's a very particular kind of difficulty that isn't only about poverty or whatever, and um, people talk a lot in business about how the Jewish people, or the Italian people, or the Irish people, they got off a boat in whatever that 20-year period was where they flooded into the country. And they became, they were ghettoized, and they became a community, and then they worked with their own team, in the good way that people are tribal. And they protected their own, they looked after their own, they raised their own up, they created a team, and then they became good at a certain thing often, a certain business, and maybe took that business over um, and in a, in a given city. And African Americans, of course, being enslaved and then running away <laughs> uh even after the great migration in the the early part of the 20th century going to the cities they didn't have that alignment right because their history and their tribalism was ripped away from them for 400 years nobody knew what tribe they were from the difference between an irish and a frenchman is huge well african americans they're not just african right somebody's from ghana And somebody's from another country, Ivory Coast, and someone's from Sierra Leone. But those differences and those gods and those histories and those names were ripped away. So that thing of building the sense of team and belonging and shared history is something that I think is, is in the psychology of team building. And they got it in this experience in crew. Um, in a way that, right. that wasn't isolated or singular.
0: Yeah, it gives everyone a real window into how powerful this audiobook is. And thank you very much, Adam, for joining us and congratulations on having one of your audiobooks celebrated in the 2020 best audiobooks.
1: Thank you so much. I really I was so proud when I told my wife and daughter and my parents they were they were all thrilled. It was uh, it's a really great honor. appreciate you having me
0: thank you and we've been talking about a most beautiful thing by R. Shay Cooper with Adam Lazar White this has been a special best of the year edition of behind the mic with audiophile magazine support for behind the mic comes from oasis audio publisher of remembering kobe bryant Hear stories from opponents, teammates, and friends about what it was like to go toe-to-toe with one of basketball's greats. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please stay tuned right here all week for more chats with narrators of some of the best audiobooks of the year. And check our social media as we often post conversations and videos with audiobook narrators. The full list of Audiophile's best audiobooks can be found at audiophilemagazine.com. This is Robin Witten. Thanks for listening.